0: Thank you. Let's take God's word together and open it again to the New Testament book of Matthew. I'm glad you're with us. And we're going to pick up today, really, where we left off last week. If you remember, the Lord is directing us on this little series on repentance. And I want to remind you that we are living in a day where this word repentance has almost become a swear word. And amongst Christian circles and amongst those who profess faith in Christ, nobody wants to talk about repentance. We're happy to talk about the joy of salvation. We're happy to talk about forgiveness. We're content to consider what it is to have our sins washed away, to be pardoned, to be redeemed, to be regenerated. But nobody wants to talk about repentance. This is a neglected doctrine. I remind you that repentance is a change of mind and heart that leads to a change in direction. It is one of the foundational principles of our faith. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. The foundation of our faith is repentance from dead works, And faith towards God. Repentance from sin. And faith towards God. And the author of Hebrews is saying we shouldn't have to rehash this. It is a part of our foundation. Everything in the Christian life is built upon these principles. Why is it today we ignore and neglect such truths? The message of repentance is found throughout the scriptures. Jonah's message to Nineveh. Do you remember? Repent because in 40 days the city will be overthrown. John the Baptist's ministry and message was one of repentance. In fact, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. He was marked and known. He paved the way for the Savior of the world, for the Lamb of God. You are not ready to receive the Lamb of God until first the repentance, the foundation of repentance be laid. Christ's first sermon in Matthew chapter four was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Message, Peter's message to the, to the ones who were pricked in their heart. Do you remember in the book of Acts? And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent. The apostle Paul's message to the Gentiles in Acts 17 on Mars Hill was repent. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Not just Jews, as some would like to imagine. All men everywhere to repent. Paul's message to King Agrippa. Repent. There is no doubt that repentance is a part of the gospel message. But repentance is not just for the unconverted. Would you look this way for a moment? This morning, if you are lost... The message we have for you is this. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sins and look unto Jesus. But if you have been born again. By the blood of Jesus. By the word of God, Peter tells us. By the incorruptible seed, the word of God. If you have been born again. The message of repentance still is for us. Did you know that? In fact, six times when Jesus speaks to the seven churches of uh, there in the book of revelation he says repent speaking to the church and so today in 2023 the message is the same there must be repentance found amongst us by the way no revival ever took place without this doctrine no revival ever shook this planet without true heaven sent repentance that is why it is our subject of study in these days. So why have we got to talk about this again? Because we must put an emphasis where God places an emphasis. Last week we talked about how genuine repentance begins with a discovery. You remember that? Genuine repentance begins with the discovery that I am poor and destitute. I am empty and void of anything good. That's where true repentance begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And today, we look at the appropriate response to such a discovery. How do we respond when we are, it's revealed unto our souls that we are lost, broken, undone, or that we are as children, but yet still we are in sin and sin has overtaken us. How do we respond? Many people, by the way, are able to come to the realization of their destitute nature and their depravity, but very few are able to respond correctly. That's why, why do you think so many people live in depression? Why do you think so many people live in such a a a state of brokenness of mind? Because they know where they are, and they know that life isn't what it ought to be, and that they are not what they ought to be, but they don't know how to respond appropriately. And until we learn to respond correctly, we never enter into the blessedness that Jesus speaks of. The opening of this famous sermon on the mount are opening words about being blessed. By the way, if Jesus tells us who is blessed, then that is truly a blessed person. And I want to be like that. In the very first words of this sermon are blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven because you don't get into the kingdom of heaven until you recognize that you're poor in spirit. And the next step, somebody uh, once mentioned, in fact, that Thomas Watson this morning also referred to it that these are eight steps to blessedness like a ladder. You say there's nine. Well, the last two are really one of the same, but there's eight steps, eight rungs of a ladder, and you can't get to the second rung or the third rung until you've stepped on the first one, which are blessed are the poor in spirit. Can I just say this? The majority of the Christian world has skipped rung number one because it's uncomfortable. And they would skip number two if they could. They want to go really straight to the blessings. But the blessings have conditions. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. That's where we are today. This is where we're led to today. How do we respond to our broken nature? Look, some of you I know, and some of you know me, but some of the young people and teenagers, sometimes every day they, they come face to face with the reality that they are rotten. Some of you, we've spoken about this. You keep messing up over and over, and you hate yourself for it. And you know who you are. But look here. If you don't respond correctly, it doesn't matter how much you know it. If we don't respond correctly to the revelation that we are absolutely no good at all, then you're never going to be any different. And this next truth teaches us how to respond. Blessed are they that mourn. There's only one correct way to the discovery of your soul's condition. Mourn, mourn, that's to feel or express grief or sorrow. There's only one correct answer. The statement, blessed are they that mourn, seems to be contradictory, doesn't it? To the natural ear, happy are those who mourn, happy mourn, blessed grief seem to be polar opposites did jesus really know what he was talking about when he said such words of course he's the son of god of course he is well acquainted with grief the scriptures say a man of sorrows he knows what he's talking about how is it possible all of us want the blessed part we all want to be happy but I'm not so sure we all want to be happy if it means we got to go through grief. I'm not so sure we all want to be blessed if we know, knowing that we have to walk the path of grief and mourning in order to obtain it. To use words of the poet Carlyle, we believe that we believe this, but do we really believe it? I think we believe it, but do you really believe it? That it is blessed. Blessed are they who mourn. Now the world has always worked. We know this. And it's true today. The world has always worked beneath the philosophy that grief and pain are evils that need to be eliminated from life at all costs. Right? That's why we have all sorts of. You've got paracetamol and Advil and all all sorts of other different brands, Tylenol, whatever you want to call it, just to get pain, get rid of pain. And it doesn't really take care of it. It covers the pain, numbs us to the pain, but it's still there. The world has had this philosophy that pain and grief and sorrow need to somehow be eliminated. In fact, we're now in a day, who would have ever thought? We're now in a day when it is becoming legal for you to take your own life. New Zealand, it's legal. Netherlands, it's legal. I'm sure it won't be long before it is here as well. Euthanasia, no problem. You're tired of living? Grief and pain are too much? Because we all agree, or at least humanity agrees, that pain and grief are bad, and so let's get rid of it. If you can't get rid of it, then just get rid of life. That's the philosophy of the world. One theologian said this, One of the crowning misinterpretations of life is the misinterpretation of sorrow. In the kingdom of this world, it is a destructive force. But in the kingdom of heaven, it is a saving experience. Earthliness sees in it the negation of joy, the taking away of joy. Heavenliness sees in it the condition of joy. Earthliness finds in it The gloomy barrier across the path of life, it's stopping us from moving ahead. But heavenliness finds it to be the shadow gateway leading to the light of life. The one thing you're living your life to avoid, grief, mourning, is often the path that God uses to bring us to himself interesting as you look at the text. Blessed are they that mourn. The word mourn they tell me is the strongest word for mourning in the Greek language. It's the same word used for mourning for the dead. Those who mourn are blessed. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 because let me just let me just say this. Not every grief and sorrow is good. Not every grief or sorrow. Jesus isn't talking that Every grief or sorrow uh, will make you blessed. That's not what he's saying. There's a kind of grief or a kind of sorrow, a kind of mourning that is godly, and there's also a kind of mourning that is worldly. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul explains it to us. Verse number 8, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but, watch this, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing. That ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea what clearing of yourselves. Yea what indignation. Yea what fear. Yea what vehement desire. Yea what zeal. Yea what revenge. Revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. I want to talk to you this morning just briefly about the two kinds of mourning, sorrow and grief, because not every grief and sorrow is actually godly. In fact, some grief and some sorrow is natural. It doesn't mean it's bad, it's just natural. And that kind of natural sorrow is not the sorrow that God is, that Jesus is speaking about when he says, blessed are they the mourn." He's not talking about that. There are, there's a natural sorrow. Sometimes we sorrow over loss. A loss of a loved one. If you've ever lost someone near to you, if someone near to you has died, you know what this kind of sorrow and grief is. But do you know that there have been many a soul, many a person who has been able to grieve over a dead loved one, but not able to grieve over a crucified Savior. There's the difference. Both are grief, both are sorrow, both are mourning. But one leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. The other leads to death. Because who wants to sit and think about the loss of someone that you love? The loss of someone so near to you, that, that doesn't bring life. In fact, Paul says in the Thessalonians, Look, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant that you sorrow not as the world sorrow, as others sorrow. Our sorrow when somebody dies is not a sorrow unto death. It's a sorrow unto expectancy. we sorrow sorry because we miss them, but we expect to see them again. See the difference? Natural sorrow doesn't lead to light. It's called sorrow of the world which worketh death. A loss over a loved one. A loss over a job. A loss over a mark you are hoping to get at university. A loss over a relationship, whatever it may be. That's worldly sorrow. We've all experienced that. Every human being has experienced it. Everyone has lost someone we've loved. Everyone has been disappointed by the rejection of a, of a university or, or a relationship. We've all experienced that kind of sorrow. But that's not the sorrow Jesus is talking about. This, there's also, by the way, a devilish sorrow. Do you know that? The kind of sorrow that you grieve because you can't satisfy the impure lust of your flesh. You remember Amnon? M- Desiring to have his own sister. Sorrowing, the scriptures say in 2 Samuel, he's sorrowed and grieved because he couldn't have her. That's a devilish sorrow. When you are grieved because you can't get what you want. We've seen it in our children before, haven't we? They kick off and throw a, picture, a big fit because they don't get what they want. They're sorry, they're grieved because they can't have what they want. That's a devilish kind of a sorrow. That's the sorrow of the world. But there is a godly sorrow. And this is what Jesus speaks about. This is what Paul speaks. Look at 2 Corinthians 7. Paul had written to these people. He had rebuked them. He had dealt with them about their sin. And the Bible says in verse 8 that he made them sorry with his letter. And he did not repent of it. Now Paul he felt a little bit bad, but he didn't, he didn't want to retract his letter because he knew that his letter had been used of God to wake these people up to turn from their sin. Now look what he says. The same pis- epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Verse 9, now I rejoice. By the way, that's an important phrase at the end, but for a season. Sorrow is painful. Mourning and grief is painful. And that's why human nature and flesh wants to get away from it. But it's only for a season. And if you let it do what God sent it to do, you'd be better for it. I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. How do we know if our sorrow, if our grief, if our mourning is correct? Because it is the pathway to repentance. It causes you to turn. That's how you know. Now let's be honest. Sometimes we're sorry because we got caught. Not because we, are, we have sinned. And if we're not careful, our children learn that if they shed a few tears when they get caught doing what they shouldn't do, then we'll say, okay, he's learned his lesson and on with it and we grow up to maintain the same pattern we get caught in our sins maybe the spirit of god convicts us maybe he reveals it to us if we're not careful we maintain the same pattern we shed a tear or two and say i'm sorry i'll never do it again but before you're off your knees and on your way you have not turned or changed in heart and mind You don't want to stop doing what you've done before. In fact, you're thinking already about the next time it'll happen or the next opportunity you can indulge. True grief, sorrow, and mourning over your sin, by the way, is known to be appropriate only if it leads to repentance. Have you been brought to repentance? I'm glad, he says, because you sorrowed to repentance. You were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. Meaning you'll never regret it. Never turn from it. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now verse 11 is an amazing verse. I want to take a moment to look at it. Look at it there. Verse 11. Here is the fruit of godly sorrow. Here is the fruit of mourning over your sin. Here is the evidence that you've got it right. This is why, by the way, I'm opposed. Let me just, on the record, I'm opposed to the kind of evangelism that says, hey, Jesus loves you, say this prayer, bang, welcome into the kingdom. I'm opposed to that. Because if someone is not stopped first, And been made to see that the reason they need the love of Christ. The reason they need to be in the kingdom. Is because their sins have destined them to hell. If they haven't seen that, they're not saved. Because the word saved means to be rescued or delivered. Delivered from what? Now if you can stand and talk with someone about their need of Christ. About the brokenness of their nature. And and the light comes on. And they recognize that's me. I know I've sinned. Then we can tell them of the love of Christ. And if God allows. Lead them by the hand into the kingdom of God. But not without repentance. Otherwise it's not true salvation. It's not real. But look at the fruit of this. For behold. This self same thing. That ye sorrowed. After a godly sort. Watch this. What does it it produce? Sorrowing after a godly sort. Blessed are they that mourn. Here's what it produces. What carefulness it wrought in you. The first evidence that you've sorrowed after a godly sort. Look here. Let me tell you what it does to you. It makes you walk circumspectly. If you are really sorry and grieved and if you mourn over the sin you've committed about God and your heart is that the, the awful reality of the blackness of your heart, then it will make you change the way you walk. You walk more carefully. What carefulness it wrought in you. Look, if you fall one or two times in a particular, in the same spot, you're going to be careful the next time you walk in that spot. Because you've learned your lesson. The trouble with many of us, we don't learn our lesson. Or we think we can skirt around it and still get on with the same behavior. What carefulness it wrought in you. I want you to ask yourself right now, has God worked in you a carefulness? Or are you living this kind of just free for all? Live any way you want to live. By the way, there is liberty in Christ. There is true liberty in Jesus. But true liberty in Christ doesn't give you liberty to sin. It gives you liberty to walk carefully. What carefulness it wrought in you! Do you know what happens when when you truly you come you're brought to true repentance and sorrow over your sin? You 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 want to be careful that you don't come near that thing, the thing that made you sick, whatever it may be, uh, it, it, whatever it stripped you up. You are so careful. Amen. I mean, that's why people throw their mobile phones and. And the the river iPhone and and they they burn their CDs, that music that was causing them to be stuck to stumble or fall. And they go through such extremes. That's why Jesus said, if thy right hand offend thee, be careful enough to cut it off. If thy right eye offend thee, get a spoon and dig it out. What carefulness? I'm not saying go cut your hand off today. I'm not saying that. But I am saying there are some things in your life that you need to carefully perform precision operation in. What carefulness, godly sorrow works carefulness in you. And look at the second thing. What clearing of yourselves. Now let's think about that for a moment. Couple of thoughts. Clearing of yourselves. Clearing the way comes the mind of yourself. Is there anything in you? Boy, when you're brought to true repentance, when you're brought to sorrow, you begin to do business, housekeeping, uh, spring cleaning, as it were. Get the rubbish out. I don't want what carefulness, which brings clearing of self, cleaning and clearing, but also making yourself, bringing yourself to be right with God. What carefulness, what clearing of yourselves. Look at the next one. I, I love the thought as well clearing. Sometimes we say, I want to clear my name. I want a clean slate. That brings the sort of mindset that I've messed up and I want to make it right. Carefulness. Clearing of yourselves. Look at the next one. What indignation. You know what true godly sorrow brings? It brings a hatred for sin. It brings an anger, a holy indignation in your soul that says why did I ever do this? an anger that you would be so foolish that you would be so reckless and so careless by the way if this isn't in you we ought to get on our knees and ask God for it what indignation I hate the sins we sing sometimes that beautiful hymn I hate the sin that drove thee from my breast do you hate it? indignation what fear look at this carefulness clearing of yourselves indignation what fear what's that all about I'll tell you what that's about look here I'm afraid I'm going to do it again a fearfulness which brings works hand in hand with the carefulness a fearfulness of disappointing my God a fearfulness of of of, of wiping wiping my feet On the blood of Christ. A fearfulness. A carefulness. Clearing of yourself. And look at the next thing. What vehement desire. What zeal. What revenge. Three things working hand in hand. Vehement. That's red hot desire. To do what's right. Red hot desire. Zeal. To turn my back on what is wrong and to do what is right. And look what it says. Revenge. Revenge. Have you ever looked at your sin with revenge? That you wanted to get revenge on your sin? Paul says in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, something very interesting. Having in us a readiness to revenge all disobedience. So full of indignation against the sin you've committed. So angry. That you want to revenge it. You want to get back the years that the locusts have eaten. Amen. You want to restore that which the canker worm has taken. You want it back. That's the fruit of godly sorrow. Not walking down an aisle, sorry, not walking down an aisle, shedding a few tears, saying a prayer, walking out of the tent and going back to the same life you've ever lived. That's not godly sorrow. That's not godly sorrow. Those who mourn over their sin are troubled more about their sin than they are anything else on earth. The very remembrance of the sin it doesn't make them want to sin again, it grieves them. It shames them. I can't help but think of David in Psalm chapter 51. My sin is ever before me. It's always in front of me. The burden is intolerable. But let me encourage you. There's something good about godly sorrow and godly mourning. Something good. Thomas Watson gave a few helpful tips about gospel mourning he said, gospel mourning must be spontaneous, like water springing out of a spring, not like fire from a flint. See the difference? Gospel mourning, true godly sorrow comes naturally. You don't have to force it, you don't have to squeeze a tear out of your eye. It's not like when you're trying to light a fire with a flint and you strike, 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 and hope it catches. Spontaneous, it's spiritual. Deeply spiritual. You mourn for your sin more than you do for the suffering. Do you remember what Pharaoh said? He said, take away the plagues. But he didn't think about the plague of his own heart. He wanted the consequence of his sin to be taken away. But he didn't want the sin to be taken away. David said, my sin is ever before me. The prodigal son said, against heaven and before thee have I sinned. Wasn't talking about his hunger. Wasn't talking about how he used all the money. Wasn't talking about how he was poor. He was talking about his sin. We must mourn over our sin. <laughs> Mourning over your sin is an act of war. You gotta look at it like that. It's an act of hostility. It's an act of victory. Look, our sin doesn't Your sin, my sin, doesn't just make me ungodly. It doesn't just make me unlike God. It makes me contrary to God. My sin makes me his enemy. Your sin separates between you and your God. God said in Leviticus chapter 26, Thou hast walked contrary unto me. Sin keeps, sin keeps good things from you. Do you know that? You can't live in sin and expect the blessings of God. You can't live in sin and expect God to pour out upon you. Sin keeps the good things from heaven from you. Somebody once said it like this: sin is the evidence of the most extreme ingratitude. That we would not be grateful. I remember what remember what Mary said when. She came to the garden tomb and found that Jesus was gone. She began to weep. Remember what she said? They have taken away my Lord. Sin takes away our Lord. The nearness of his presence. The sense of his near. That sin drives that from us. Oh, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But the sense of his nearness, the, the, the calling of his voice can't be heard because we've grown hard and dull. But, blessed are they that mourn. Psalm 51, verse number 17, David, understanding this, that this is the pathway to blessing, says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. God delights in a broken and contrite heart. He's satisfied with that. Do you know that? You can put all the money in the world in the collection bag but if you don't give him your broken and contrite heart he's not satisfied. You can go to every church meeting every week read the Bible every day and pray but if you don't give him a contrite heart he's not happy. A broken and contrite heart O God thou wilt not despise and when you find yourself there as unpleasant and ugly as it is As uncomfortable as it is, when you find yourself there, you can say with the psalmist in Psalm 126, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. True joy comes in the morning. Sorrow may last for a night. Joy cometh in the morning. It's a promise. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall, this is, this is blessed are they mourn over their sin. They shall be comforted. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There's a fruit, there's a blessing when you mourn over your sin. But you say, well, I've been, I've been... Grieving for a long time. I've been in a state of mourning and sorrow for a long time. When is God going to comfort me? I don't know, but you shall be comforted. Well, I've been like this for so long. I met many people seeking God. They know they've sinned against God and they're embarrassed to even look up. They're embarrassed to even come nigh to God and they grieve and they weep over their condition and they, and they say, how long shall I be like this? How long shall I feel the weight of my sin upon my shoulders? How long? I don't know, but you shall be comforted. Some of the dear saints in this tent this morning know exactly what I'm talking about. You sat beneath that burden, the weight, the grief and sorrow of your sin for so long and it's almost to the point when you thought God would never come. Almost to the point when you thought that comfort would never be found. But it did come. And it does come. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember, the Lord Jesus saves the best wine for last. So don't give up. Don't give up. I'll give you one last passage From Isaiah, then we'll close. Really two passages. Isaiah 57. Listen to these words. Isaiah 57 verse 14. And and shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Do you see that? The high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. The one whose name is holy. Says I dwell in the high and holy place with him also. That is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble. To revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth, for the spirit should fail before me, and the souls which I have made, for the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth. Look here for a moment. God knows that you cannot bear beneath the weight of your grief and sorrow and mourning forever. He knows that. Neither will I always be wroth, for the spirit shall fail before me, and the souls which I have made would fail before him as well, if he always lets you bear that. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth, and I smote him. I hid me and was wroth, and he went on frowardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. I will lead him also, and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the peace. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace Peace to him that is afar off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. You hear that? Let that be medicine to your soul if you're in mourning today. The wicked are like the troubled sea, though, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. But to those who mourn, there is. One last one. Isaiah 61. You know the the prophecy Jesus quotes from in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. You know this one. He's anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our Lord. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion... To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. The Lord. There's a promise that when you walk through this valley of grief and sorrow and mourning, not because it's something you've lost But because of the awful reality of your sin. There's a promise. That God has appointed. Unto them that mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. To give the oil of joy. In exchange for your mourning. By the way. There's an exchange. You give him your mourning. He gives you the oil of joy. You give him your. Your, your ashes, he gives you beauty. You give him, not just that, the spirit of heaviness, and he gives you the garment of praise. Completely exchanged. And then you're given a name. Tree of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. When you walk that path, the whole world says, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. That is the work of Of God's saving grace, not the work of man's manipulation. And when you come through it, no one can shout more joyfully than that soul who has been set free. And God is glorified. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Would you bow your head with me, please? Father in heaven, we feel that in some ways we're standing on holy ground to speak of such truths that are so often neglected in our own hearts. We pray that thy spirit would help us, that we would not be ashamed or afraid to be identified with our suffering saviour. I pray, Father, that thy spirit would help us to see. Help us to see the depth of our unworthiness and the height of thy grace. Help us to see that there is a glorious exchange. There's a wonderful exchange offered to those who mourn. We pray that today we might find in exchange for our ashes, we might find beauty. We might find in exchange for our mourning, we might find the oil of joy. Oh God, may it be said of us that we be trees of righteousness that are thy planting. Not our own, but thine. I thank thee, Lord, for every trial and every, every, every challenge that made us see made us see our condition and made us see thy grace. Help us, Lord, to rejoice. I pray for those now who are struggling in that valley of grief and sorrow, mourning over their sins. Lord, thou knowest what is needed. But I pray, Lord, do not leave them there too long. Bring them out into the joy of thy salvation that they may stand and tell sinners of thy way. Grant unto us godly sorrow, Father, a contrite heart, a broken and a contrite heart, that we might find the healing that Jesus Christ has come to give. Bless these words somehow to our hearts and to our minds. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.